Hey everybody, welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name's Basil. And this is Gans. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, welcome to episode 128. Yeah, 128. Aha, I got it this time. Yeah. <laughs> um, welcome everybody. We've got an awesome interview with James Perloff. This one was recorded uh, a little while ago. We've had, uh, anyways, a, a story too long to explain why it took so long to get out but we are so excited to present this to you but before that we just wanted to uh, uh, thank everybody who has been listening to canary cry news talk that is our weekly show that we put out every week i know uh, a lot of you listen to it a lot of you may not have tried it out yet look i get it trying out new podcasts even if it's from people that you trust (laughs) we all got our podcast groove you know, you kind of get in your groove. You got your weekly listens. Add Canary Cry News Talk to that. You are not going to be disappointed. Drop the NPR. <laughs> replace it with CCNT. We all know you guys are sneaking in some <laughs> NPR in between Canary Cry News Talk. Yeah, Canary Cry Radio episodes. Uh, I mean, we cover all sorts of stories that you uh, probably haven't heard. Maybe some that you have heard, but we uh, give uh, a biblical perspective and talk about uh, what these news stories mean in the context of what we talk about here on Canary Cry Radio. So it's a great companion piece uh, to Canary Cry Radio. Eh, A lot of people have uh, maybe maybe had some uh do critiques that maybe for a while we've talked a little bit too much about cryptocurrency but hey we're we're cooling off a little bit as the market's cool so does our fervor for bitcoin (laughs) um (laughs) but there's um, uh, uh, just a whole host of different things we talk about technology biomedical stuff aliens uh the the biblical prophecy um social media Google, Amazon, fashion, uh, China, uh, what we've India, <laughs> we've covered we've, every everywhere. we've got a we've got a category that is developing that we are calling the Four Horsemen, which is updates on uh, uh, Zuckerberg, Bezos, Elon Musk, and Bill Gates. <laughs> you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna enjoy that. Um, so go check it out. CCNT. Find it the same way you find CCR. And thanks for everybody who has liked the Facebook page. Make sure to go do that if you haven't. And the Canary Cry community is not slowing down, ladies and gentlemen. If you have not yet joined the Canary Cry community, it is an awesome place to connect with other Canary Criers, Canarians, whatever you want to call yourselves. Uh, We are currently at 950 members. We only need 50 members more to reach a thousand members. That's four digits, ladies and gentlemen. So if you want to join us uh, over at the Canary Cry community, you know, there's it's a lot of discussions about things going on, a lot of discussions about Canary Cry radio episodes, but there's also a thriving meme community. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it's really a good time. Uh, actually, somebody just posted a uh, a, a, a my f- must have been one of my first memes. I didn't make it. Somebody made it of a quote of mine. It says one of the greatest conspiracies of all time is to distract Christians from the basic teachings of Christ. Hyphen Basil Rosewater. So I've I've made it. I've officially made it. <laughs> You've become a meme. I have officially made it onto an inspirational 
Facebook meme. Uh, so if you want to enjoy that, head over to Facebook and search Canary Cry Community. Okay, tell us about uh, what we got into in this James Perloff interview, Gons. Well, we got into World War II and some of the propaganda that was rolled out, and and some you know some history lessons about Nagasaki and the atomic Fascinating. bomb. And- Fascinating alternate history lessons, which this guy's a smart guy, this James Perloff fella. I highly enjoyed this. Uh, he also gets into a critique of uh, uh, Christian Zionism, which is an important conversation to have, a tense one, yet an important one for all of us to have. Yeah, and I think um, his style of organization uh, in presenting his research is super old school, and I think we were very impressed with his filing system that he had on full display during the conversation. <laughs> oh, he was one of the most prepared guests that we've ever had. That I certainly appreciated that. And so are you guys. I mean, you know, a lot of times, uh, of course, nobody on Canary Cry Radio, but on other podcasts, a guest may not have all their sources right in front of them or quotes or a giant filing cabinet filled with every piece of information <laughs> they want to pull up at any moment but uh james perloff certainly did and i very highly respect um his ability uh, not to mention his motivation to do that so you guys are gonna love it uh we certainly did and uh i think that's it guns anything else before we get into it i think that's it okay here we go get ready people james perloff here we go we interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin from the NBC newsroom in New York. President Roosevelt said in a statement today that the Japanese have attacked the Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, from the air. The Japanese have attacked Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, by air, President Roosevelt has just announced. The attack also was made on all naval and military activities on the principal island of Oahu. Senator Hill, the Democratic whip of the Senate, says this. The United States ought to use every means, every power to lick the Japanese, to lick them thoroughly and completely, and to do the job in the quickest possible time. There can be no peace in the world until the military power of Japan is destroyed. If the Japanese insist on continuing resistance beyond the point of reason, their country will suffer the same destruction as Germany. Our blows will destroy their whole modern industrial plant and organization, which they have built up during the past century, and which they are now devoting to a hopeless cause. We have no desire or intention to destroy or enslave the Japanese people, but only surrender can prevent the kind of ruin which they have seen come to Germany as a result of continued useless resistance. A short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima and destroyed its usefulness to the enemy. That bomb has more power than 20,000 tons of TNT. The Japanese began the war from the air at Pearl Harbor. They have been repaid many fold, and the end is not yet. With this bomb, we have now added a new and revolutionary increase in destruction to supplement the growing power of our armed forces. In their present form, these bombs are now in production, and even more powerful forms are in development. It is an atomic bomb. It is a harnessing of the basic power of the universe. The force from which the sun draws its power has been loosened 
against those who brought war to the Far East. We have spent more than $2 billion on the greatest scientific gamble in history, and we have won. This is Canary Cry Radio. Hey everybody, you're listening to Canary Cry Radio. My name's Basil. And this is Gons. Welcome to episode number 128. 128. That equals 11. Ooh, super occulty. We live in an age where psychological manipulation is rampant. We are bombarded with lies in the mainstream media every single day causing people all across the country at large to believe in ideas which are not only contradictory to reality, but to basic logic. By appealing to emotions and moments of tragedy, we've recently even seen children rolled out to be used as political fodder, peddling propaganda they probably hardly even understand. In such times as these, standing for what's true becomes more and more difficult as the size of the proverbial bullhorn of the controlled media becomes ever more openly accusatory, bearing false witness towards anyone who exposes their lies. So what are we to do? How do we know what's true in these polarizing times, especially those of us who claim to be Bible-believing Christians? Our guest today is an author, speaker, he's a scriptwriter, he's done many things. He's written two books about the best evidence against Darwin's theory of evolution, as well as a book titled the Shadows of Power, an expose of the CFR, which has sold over 100,000 copies, and most recently, Truth is a Lonely Warrior, a comprehensive look at the satanic drive for world government. James Perloff, welcome to Canary Cry Radio. Well, Basil and Gans, thank you for having me on the uh, first time. hope there'll be more times to follow. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on the show. Now, you've got a couple books out. Why don't you uh, give us a rundown of some of those so people have an idea of who you are and kind of what your areas of study have been. I've been writing for alt media since 1985 when I began writing for the New American Magazine. And, you know, I I got woken up to the New World Order in 1978 when I read Gary Allen's book, None Dare Call a Conspiracy. You know, I talked about the Federal Reserve Council on Foreign Relations. And as I got immersed in that information, I uh, eventually went to work for the New American Magazine, which was uh, tied uh, informally to that book. And uh, I wrote a bestseller, which you already mentioned, The Shadows of Power, which is a study of the Council on Foreign Relations, which is sort of a nexus organization between the powers that be and the running of the American government. And um, eventually, uh, as a Christian, I grew up agnostic, but as a Christian, becoming a Christian in the 1980s, I... Um, started uh, becoming interested in the, the creation evolution debate because a lot of us have been turned into agnostics by accepting Darwin's idea that we came about by chance. So I did write two books about that, did a lot of PowerPoints in churches and before other organizations on it. But after 9-11, I got more interested in uh, the uh, obvious looming New World Order and um, just how destructive it was. So I wrote uh, my latest book, Truth is a Lonely Warrior, which is really an A to Z primer uh, much more informative than the shadows of power. It looks, try to make a look at everything, starts out with false flags and it gets into the Council on Foreign Relations and then the chapter on the Fed and we go into media control and the police state and secret societies and we get into vaccines and weather control. It tries to be comprehensive but documented and reader friendly, something you can give to a skeptic friend to hopefully pull them out of the matrix. 
Awesome. And, uh, you know, the, you, you've had some, some pretty good success with some of these uh, uh, publications that you've uh, put out. And I'm wondering if, uh, if you take that as a sign that people are starting to wake up. Well, I do see uh, a lot of good signs. Of course, it's, it's frustrating when we meet people who are totally matrixed. But, you know, I got contacted uh, just recently by a guy in a neighboring town, 25 years old, who was, I had lunch with the guy who's totally awake, uh, said it was nine years old when 9-11 happened. And his uncle and his, his uh, father both told him the government story wasn't true. And he, he for a while, he believed in the left-right paradigm, but he gave up on that. And, man, this guy didn't do just about a thing. He's only 25 years old. And uh, I heard from a 30-year-old from a neighboring town just last week and had a very good conversation with a, a gentleman from Southboro Island, Massachusetts, by the way. Um, but I'm, I'm meeting uh, more and more awake people all the time. So, uh, oh, I even met a, a couple at church who I hadn't seen in 10 years. And they started telling me all about Sandy Hook, you know. <laughs> so, so, and they had not been politically alert to these things before. So I, I, uh, I tried to look at the positive, and I do see uh, an awakening public that doesn't buy the mainstream explanation of things, which usually don't have gotten their favors as they've got the microphone. What they say really doesn't make sense. Right. You know, I'm curious. You mentioned you were agnostic before and then uh, found your faith in the 80s. Were, was there a, uh, a shift in your, your waking up or your awakeness in regards to the difference between uh, your agnosticism and Christianity? Yeah, actually, you know, the, the, it's interesting that the uh, trigger point actually for me was reading Gary Allen's book, Non-Dead Call of Conspiracy, because in reading that book, it was um, the first time that history made any sense to me. And I also saw that the forces behind the New World Order were satanic and actually that the Christians were the good guys. Now, there's been a lot of messing with Christianity over the years um, and disfiguring of Christianity. But nonetheless, I, I could see that uh, this was a uh, eventually uh, maybe I didn't characterize it in terms of immediate these terms immediately, but uh, I could see there's a spiritual battle taking place, which it is. And that was actually kind of the uh, of, of uh, something that God used me to draw him towards Christ. Although uh, I wouldn't say that that is the case for most people, of course. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I I, I would say more people are becoming awake. Even you know, just in case of running into people, I had a, a in a situation where I was actually in a hospital where uh, I think it was when my daughter was being born, maybe a couple hours before the nurse actually. We were having the conversation about the book, uh, The Creature on Jekyll Island by Edward G. Griffin. Mm. And I mean, the fact that that conversation came up in the hospital with the nurse, um, and she was, you know, she was an elder nurse, but she was very well informed. I think people are awake, but it's really weird because even still, the sentiment, because, you know, the size of the bullhorn of the mainstream, whatever you want to call it, is so loud. It seems like, the deception is, I mean, obviously it's out there. People are still believing all this stuff, but I mean, how do, how do we penetrate into that? What, what tactics do we use to start to tear down some of those things? I know you have your books, but even in everyday conversation, um, I've had situations where I run into people and we're talking past each other on an issue because they're kind of in this other dimension, you know? Oh, it happens all the time. And you know, it's very difficult in a momentary conversation, like in having coffee after a church service to to um, get into any of this. I think it really takes one-on-one -on -one discussion privately, maybe inviting somebody to your home uh, or maybe you're invited to their home. And, uh, you know, I've done in the past 
is uh, sat down with a laptop and I, I gave a lot of PowerPoints on uh, the New World Order and those eventually developed into Truth is a Lonely Warrior. And I tried to um, uh, give people the big picture because I found that if you only talk about 9-11, you know what the standard answer is. The standard answer is our government would never do that to us. And you have to show people that they have done that to us many times with the Lusitania, the sinking of the Maine, Pearl Harbor, Tonkin Gulf. Show them, and that's the, my first chapter of my book, show them, yeah, there is a pattern. They have done that to us. And then they'll say, well, why would our own government do that to, to us? We elected these people. So you show them that it's really not, um, there is a trappings of democracy Be, behind it. There's an oligarchy, and that's been documented. That was documented 80 years ago by Ferdinand Lundberg in his book, America's 60 Families, that there was a wealthy elite picking the president in advance. So um, you give them um, information about that and some information about the Fed. And they say, of course, um, well, why, why wouldn't CNN tell us about this? And so you show them who, who owns the media. But so you really, I think you really need to give people the big picture. And that was why I wrote Truth is a Lonely Warrior, because um, as I like to use as an analogy, if you give people just one piece of a jigsaw puzzle, they can't see the big picture. But if they can see all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle, it makes sense to them, that, that big picture. And so that's what I try to do in conversations. I, I believe that you really do need a thorough conversation with someone one-on-one. -on -one. I don't think you can just give them a piece of sand, like Sandy Hook and believe that they will, they will, they will respond to that. Right. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it does inevitably lead to that. If you try to uh, mention, you know, one uh, piece of alternative it's a, history, it's a or they tr they get right. triggered. <laughs> well, the question becomes why, and then you go, well, because there's a you know an elite ruling class. Why? Well, because you end up having to go back to the basics anyways. So you might as well start there. Right. Kind of like a little kid who keeps asking why. But it's it's frustrating. But uh, you know that little kid does need answers. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. Now this book, Truth is a Lonely Warrior. It, uh, like you said, it sounds like you've uh, sort of created uh, an equation, uh, as it were, to begin conversations with people. And this this may be a, a good book to introduce people to if you can get them to actually crack the cover, which is a whole battle in itself. Right. And uh, that's one reason uh, we also made uh, this movie with Free Mind Films called Shattering. And it's got a lot of uh, alt media people in it, uh, including the uh, the late Joyce Riley uh, is in it. And Ben Swan, who just he had a dark period, he just came out of um, or Gerald Salanti's in it and Jack Blood, Aaron Dykes of the, you know, Aaron and Melissa Dykes team and uh, the late Jim Mars, G. Edward Griffin's in it, Patrick Wood. Uh, Pastor Jack Baldwin, myself. And in this film, we give people a, a backgrounder uh, that includes false flags, the CFR, the Fed, media control, and the police state. And that's about all you can fit into a two-hour movie. But that's for people who are maybe more visually oriented and don't want to crack open a book. Yeah, yeah. Yep. The, the video medium definitely uh, is much more consumable for people, I think, at large. Um, but yeah, I'd like to get into a little bit of specifics. And you know, I, you mentioned the Hiroshima bombing, or at least the Pearl Harbor, and that selfishly for me, I'm I'm curious about it because obviously, being a, a second generation Japanese American myself, um, those events uh, I, I only know is sort of history, and I, it, it's weird because I grew up in a time when I, I had friends even who had uh, grandparents that were that lived through that time that you know uh, had thoughts about me as a person based on uh, the way I looked 
Um, and so I've experienced those things. And, um, you know, early on I thought, wow, why would they think that of me? I'm just a, a kid. And so those ideas, uh, again, planted in the minds of the public uh, when the reality of what happened may not have been, you know, what we're being told at all. And specifically, I want to touch on uh, Pearl Harbor because you've done a little research on it. Can you give us a little overview of what the re- true story behind what happened there is and, and how it's been pushed to the public? Sure. That was a mammoth false flag, not in the sense that the United States wasn't attacked, but in the, the sense that we knew about the attack in advance in government circles. We did not share it with the military uh, in Hawaii. Um, it was also it's a, it's a false flag in the, in the broad sense of deception. Uh, we also provoked the attack and we set up the attack by putting the fleet in Pearl Harbor. And I should probably mention um, pieces of um, each of those. Um, you know, just to back this up, if, if, if uh, well, well, I should mention that if you go to my website, which is jamesperloff.com, it's P as in Peter, E-R-L-O-F-F, I have a very extensive post there called Pearl Harbor, Roosevelt's 9-11. And I've actually been researching Pearl Harbor since 1986. That's when I published my first cover story for the New American Magazine. And I wrote an updated version in 2001 for that magazine uh, in response to the Ben Affleck movie, which was really preparing America for 9-11. He came out in May of 2001. Um, But uh, that's my most updated uh, post. It's one on my website. And... um, uh, First, uh, the the attack was um, it, it was provoked, and I, I just just want to provide a little substantiation beyond me here, okay? And, and that's what I do in the article. But this is what the British historian Russell Grunfeld said. And he was a captain in the Royal Navy and a, a British historian. And he wrote this in his 1952 book, Main Main Fleet to Singapore. Quote: No reasonably informed person can now believe that Japan made a villainous, unexpected attack on the United States. Intact was not only fully expected, but was actually desired. It is beyond doubt that President Roosevelt wanted to get his country into the war, but for political reasons, was most anxious to ensure that the first act of hostility came from the other side, for which reason he caused increasing pressure to be put on the Japanese to a point that no self-respecting nation could endure without resort to arms. Japan was meant by the American president to attack the United States. And uh, Wow. A, a, unquote. Um, here's another one. This is from Oliver Littleton, uh, who is Britain's Minister of Production. He said some, <laughs> this was very controversial at the time, but it, here's what he told the American Chamber of Congress in London, June the 20th, 1944, quote, America provoked Japan to such an extent that the Japanese were forced to attack Pearl Harbor. It is a travesty on history ever to say that America was forced into the war, unquote. Now, those are those are very contrary to what people learn in school. They don't hear those quotes. You have to do some digging. Uh, as all, we all do in alt media to to get at the truth, but as far as um, uh, well, we could talk about the whole motivation for the Second World War. It was definitely not to stop Japan and uh, Germany from conquering the world. I mean, Japan smaller than Montana. Um, the article is fantastic that you sent me, and I found it really interesting that the propaganda that they peddled out there in America was that Japan was trying to form a world government, you know, world conquest. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, really, Japan? Um, I, I mean, in I, I, some of the propaganda films and stuff, it, it's quite remarkable to see. It's 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 like, wow, I can't believe they showed this. And in that time, film was still very new and fresh, and they were already using it for such deep deception. It's it's kind of hard to believe. Yeah, they were saying that Japan wanted to make Tokyo the capital of the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's actually a reflection of their own plans 
but they were uh, casting, um, uh, projecting right. their evil onto Germany and Japan so that we would go fight and destroy these uh, two barriers to their own expansionist um, ambitions. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious about uh, what the provocation was towards Japan from the United States. Absolutely. And what it was, was a trade embargo, which was mutual between uh, England, the Dutch and America, but primarily in America. And uh, that included, it was an all out trade embargo and Japan was very dependent on imports. Uh, you know, 88% uh, of our oil came from imports and 75% of our food. And we're basically strangling Japan. And um, what we did was, you know, the Japanese were um, earnestly negotiating in an attempt to uh, relieve this trade embargo. Uh, you know, a modern economy can't operate without oil and obviously you need food. So um, uh, what we did, we, we sent them an ultimatum and um, we were demanding that all Japanese troops be pulled back into Japan that were overseas. Can you imagine how we'd react if somebody said that to us today with our 900 overseas military bases? Right. But in any event, what, what Americans don't know is that, um, yes, it's true that Japan had troops in China, and I wouldn't deny that there were some imperial ambitions associated with that, but the Japanese did not go into China until Stalin had seized Outer Mongolia and the northwestern province of Xinjiang. And um, let me see if I can just find a quote to back that up. Um, I, I, oh, yeah, here we go. This is from Dr. Anthony Kubik, uh, chairman of the political science department at the University of Dallas in his book, How the Far East Was Lost, 1963. Quote, it was apparent to Japanese statesmen that unless bastions of defense were built in Manchuria and inner, inner Mongolia, communism would spread through all of North China and seriously threaten the security of Japan. But the State Department seemed not to regard Japan as a bulwark against Soviet expansion in North China. As a matter of fact, not one word of protest was sent by the Department of State to the Soviet Union, despite her absorption of Xinjiang and Outer Mongolia, while at the same time, Japan was censured for stationing troops in China." Um, unquote. So what Japan offered was, they said, look, we'll pull our troops out of South China and out of Southeastern Asia, but we have to have a few troops um, with a foothold in North China or more properly Manchuria, because uh, communism has already engulfed the Soviet Union, Russia, it's right across the ocean from us. And if they take China too, then our, our, you know, we'll be doomed. And of course, as you know, after the uh, Second World War, communism did take over China. The Japanese were absolutely right. And the American response was, no, we'll only lift the, uh, the trade embargo if every Japanese soldier is called into the mainland of um, proper of, of Japan. And that ultimatum was actually written by a communist agent, Harry Dexter White. He was assistant secretary of the treasury, but he wrote it and he was a communist agent. And that was even acknowledged by uh, Eisenhower's district attorney. He was told to claim up about that. But when Eisenhower came to power, that was acknowledged. And you can read that. I referenced in my article, my online article, an article in Time Magazine acknowledging that Harry Dexter Wright, White, who wrote that ultimatum to Japan, was a communist Soviet spy for Stalin. And of course, the Soviets wanted a war between Japan and the US so that they could move communism right into China. Japan was right. We were wrong. But when we refused to uh, lift that trade embargo, 
we gave Japan a catch-22. You can die by starvation or you can die by communism. Take your pick. So Japan said, no, we're going to fight for our honor and our survival. And so uh, what Roosevelt did was he set up the fleet in Pearl Harbor as bait. And I'll get to that, but let me pause here because I've said quite a bit and you may have some thoughts on what I've said. Uh, you know, this, I, oh, go ahead, Basil. Did you have I a, was just going to commend you for uh, being so prepared with quotes and everything. You're the man. <laughs> um, well, uh, that's uh, as a result of uh, deliberate preparation. I have a, right next to me here at the uh, my laptop, a uh, collection of file folders, alphabetized. Uh, plus, I have the stuff online, but sometimes it's quicker just to grab the folder and I can pull out a Pearl Harbor file and have the quotes right there. Skills. Uh, yeah, those are skills lost. Uh, but that uh, doesn't mean that you'll ask me a question that I don't have a folder on and that I'll get a loss <laughs> at words for. Um, it, I, I'm curious about the just the extension of that in relationship to Japan, ultimately leading to the the Nagasaki and Hiroshima bombings. There's some of some information out there that I had heard over the years that pertain to, uh, you know, how it was a, a heavily populated Christian area and things like that. I, I hadn't really looked into it just because I don't know. Maybe I'm 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 sort of you know worried about what I would see there. But uh, what's sort of the story behind the the nukes that were dropped, because uh, from what I understand, Japan had already surrendered to uh, the war. Yes, you're absolutely correct. Uh, we, and by the way, we can continue with Pearl Harbor later. But, yeah. Um, as far as uh, that goes, uh, I was not uh, really apprised of that until I, I read a tremendous book um, called Atomic Bomb Secrets by David J. Dionisi, who has extensively researched the atomic bombing of Japan, and he's a Christian. And um, you know, that's the only book I've ever reviewed on my, my website because I thought it was so uh, important and had so much information that was new to me. And he pointed out that the real target of those two bombs was Nagasaki because there were 50,000 Christians there and it was Japan's center of Christianity. And what uh, David told me, uh, and this was in a conversation we had after I read the book, he said that um, uh, because the the emperor was going to be forced to renounce his divinity as part of the terms of surrender. The Freemasons and the Zionists who were running this whole war were concerned that Christianity might move in and replace uh, Shinto. And so to make sure that uh, that didn't happen, you wipe out the Christians. And uh, so Nagasaki originally was to, to be Korkura that was the target. But that was changed uh, supposedly because of the weather and DNEC re refutes that. And uh, they dropped that bomb, it's called a Fat Man bomb, directly over Yurakami Cathedral, which was the largest Christian cathedral in the entire Orient. That was ground zero was Yurakami Cathedral. That was not a mistake. Now Truman tried to say after the fact that there was a, really the military harbor there. Um, but they overflew the harbor by three miles and dropped it over the cathedral. So it was no mistake. Um, and you know, it was, I believe it was close to more than 70,000 immediately killed, more than 70,000 injured and quite a few additional people suffering radiation effects later, uh, from that bomb. But that was, uh, absolutely unnecessary for the simple reason that Japan already had offered to surrender on the very terms that we accepted. You know, we, we were demanding unconditional surrender. And Japan had offered to surrender, but they said, we want one condition. We want to keep our emperor. Well, we gave them that condition anyway. So the dropping of the bombs on Hiroshima 
in Nagasaki was totally unnecessary. It was vicious. It was wicked. And it was aimed at the Christian population. Now, DNC doesn't go into too much into uh, Hiroshima, but I have read that that was a major entrance point for Christian missionaries historically. And so I think there may have been a uh, a um, Christian motive uh, as far as the, the target of that city as well goes. Um, this is not unusual. Uh, the, the, the New World Order is Luciferian and they despise Christians and that's why you, they killed tens of millions of, of in Russia when the Soviet Union took over. Right. You know, I find it's fascinating that they wanted to, uh, you know, snuff out the Christianity in Japan because, you know, we see how over the course of history, Christianity has also been used in nefarious ways, kind of manipulated to try to, uh, you know, bolster the the sort of dark agenda. Um, so, you know, it sounds like they had a turn of heart there. Um, well, uh, they will use Christianity when they can. For example, nowadays we have Christian Zionism, which didn't exist, uh, um, uh, you know, 150 years ago. Uh, the, there was a, an, a relationship of animosity between Judaism and, and Christianity. Nobody talked about Judeo, Judeo Christianity, but today in America, the church is being used as a, um, point of support for the modern state of Israel, which is intended to become the capital of this new world order that they're trying to build. And as long as the Christians have been deceived, and that, that goes back to the Schofield Reference Bible, I've written an extensive post on that. It's called The War on Christianity, Part 2. Part 1 was on the modernist movement. Part 2 is on the Christian Zionist movement. Um, and that Bible was uh, massively distributed starting in 1917, the same year as the Balfour Declaration, by which Britain promised to create a, uh, a uh, Jewish state in Palestine and a letter addressed to none other than Lord Walter, uh, Walter Rothschild. Um, so uh, they will uh, exploit the Christians, but they will turn on them. You know, uh, they, they do this uh, all the time. I mean, we used Saddam Hussein for a while and then we turned on him. And, you know, during... Uh, World War One. Uh, I'm sorry. During World War Two, Russia was was the good guy, and then after that, they conveniently became the bad guy. It depends on um, their uh, immediate uh, needs right. and requirements for advancing the new world order. And so they will. They'll be like chameleons. They'll just change their colors just like that, and uh, and they'll switch good guys to bad guys, and and vice versa uh, on the drop of a uh, the drop of a hat. They're they're geopolitical shapeshifters. Yeah, yeah, I've never heard that term before. I think I'll steal that. And yeah, that. <laughs> I'll, I'll give it to you. That's good. Um, yeah, you know, we can go in all sorts of directions, and we had a few bullet points, and and uh, you know, one of the topics I wanted to hit was Japan, and we can move on from that um, because you brought up Zionism, which is really interesting because you know there are certain churches out there that really uh, are, are you know on the pillar of Bible prophecy, quote unquote, um, and and we're heavy on Bible prophecy here too, but you know we're not. We're not tying ourselves geopolitically to anybody and, and saying, you know, you got to support them uh, financially and militarily. Can you just dive more into what you started there with the whole uh, uh, Schofield Bible? What about the the doctrine within that it was so appealing and how has it been used commercially to to appeal to the masses of, of Christians that believe in like the preacher rapture and all that stuff? So uh, a long-term goal of the 
deep state the powers that be has been to create a world government and every world government has a capital like uh, Washington DC is the capital of the United States. Well, uh, the capital of the world government is to be Jerusalem. And um, let me just um, get some quotes to back that up. You know, the, the Rothschild deep state has been behind communism and globalism. And a lot of people, uh, most Christians are opposed to those two things, but they don't get the Zionism angle. And here's what uh, Israel Shamir said in his 2008 book, Kabbalah of Power, quote, Palestine is not the ultimate goal of the Jews. The world is. Palestine is just a place for world state headquarters. The Jews intend to turn Jerusalem into the supreme capital of the world. And it's rebuilt temple into the focal point of the spirit on earth. Christianity will die. The spirit will depart from the nations in our part of the world and our present dubious democracy will be supplanted by a vast theocratic state. Despiritualized and uprooted, homeless and lonely, yesterday's masters of the world will become slaves, unquote. Now, just to back that up, you know, the first prime minister of Israel, David Ben-Gurion, who was an atheist, by the way, uh, said this in Look Magazine in 1962, quote, in Jerusalem, the United Nations, a truly United Nations, will build a shrine of the prophets to serve the Federated Union of all continents. This will be the seat of the Supreme Court of Mankind to settle all controversies among the Federated continents. And we could go on with these quotes from Zionist sources. But um, actually, if you go back to the Bible um, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul said, quote, don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day. He's talking about the final day will not come until the rebellion occurs. The man of lawlessness. He's talking about the antichrist here or the, the beast is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped. So that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. End quote. And this is clearly a reference to, um, the Antichrist or to Lucifer, and it's going to be in a temple in Jerusalem, which uh, immediately should ring bells for us who no have noted uh, Trump's move to recognize Jerusalem. We see this yes. whole uh, uh, thing going forward. Now, the Rothschilds have long envisioned what they call Greater Israel, and for this purpose, they had Theodore Herzl start these Zionist Congresses in Basel, Switzerland. And a lot of this secret stuff seems to always happen in Switzerland. Um, <laughs> So, and it, 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 you know, the, the, it's a center of Freemasonry. It's a center of uh, a secret banking. Um, but uh, uh, in 1904, Theodore Herzl went to the Pope, and it was January of 1904, and he asked the Pope if the Catholic Church could bless the Zionist moving in, the Jews making a homeland in Palestine, and the Pope said no. That he could not bless such a, a um, an undertaking. Well, immediately the word went out that since the Catholics had rejected this, they wouldn't have to um, deceive the the Protestants. So, um, in 1904, um, Cyrus Schofield, pastor with a very checkered background, 
who had become a member of the infamous, well, I shouldn't say infamous, but the wealthy Lotus Club, the last place you expect an evangelical minister to be in New York City. Uh, in 1904, he, he went to London, where he was uh, very conveniently introduced to the head of the Oxford University Press, Mr. Froudy, who immediately assured him that Oxford Uni University Press would publish uh, a, a new reference Bible that he proposed. Now, this story is really absurd because uh, no, if you're a writer, and I've been a writer for a long time, no major publishing house promises to publish a book sight unseen unless you're someone like Stephen King, unless you've, you've got a reputation for bestsellers. But Cyrus Schofield had never written a book before except a pamphlet called Rightly Dividing the Word of Truth. But he's got this guaranteed deal that Oxford University Press, which was not in the habit of publishing Bibles, they normally published Fabian socialist stuff and, and uh, uh, academic books. And so he proceeded to publish this Bible, which it came out in its... Uh, uh, in his own lifetime, its final form in 1917, the year of the, the, the Balfour Declaration. And what this Bible did, putting its notes right on the pages of the Bible, which is a, a very new for Bible commentaries. Normally, most people said, you know, the word of God is sacred and our Bible commentaries is, is separate. What Schofield did, uh, and this, I'm sure this plan was suggested to him. I don't think he was the brains behind it. He put his notes right on the, on the pages of the Bible so that people would, when they started to remember a verse, would remember his, his, uh, his commentary uh, along with the verse or maybe in place of it. But he significantly, um, uh, reinterpreted the scriptures to suggest that the Jews must return again to, to, uh, Israel. Um, you know, Jesus had never said that the Jews must come back. He said, the, the, your, your kingdom has left you bereft. He used the, the withered fig tree as an example, and he predicted the destruction of the temple, which occurred in 70 AD, which according to the historian Josephus, took more than a million Jewish lives. They definitely, after 40 years, um, paid a very heavy price for the crucifixion of, of, of Jesus Christ. Um, but the Zionists were trying to make it now that the Jews are really good guys, Hey, we got the Bible from them, the Old Testament. Uh, we've got to get to get behind this movement. And Christians were persuaded by this uh, Schofield Reference Bible, which was distributed in the millions. And uh, even a church I used to go to after the pastor gave a very um, uh, pro-Israel sermon, he, he, he held up and waved his Schofield Reference Bible. It still holds sway with many um, evangelicals today. And this is why you have people's uh, pastors saying, I stand with Israel. Um, and it has created military support for Israel. You know, three, we give more military, we give more aid to Israel in one year than all the countries of Africa combined. And, um, this is just to create this center of world government. We're balkanizing the whole region, uh, throwing Iraq and Libya and Syria and Egypt and Afghanistan. They're all being thrown into, uh, into chaos so that they can be neutralized in preparation for the reign of Lucifer in Jerusalem. That's what was predicted by the Bible. That's what was predicted by the Zionist writers. And that's what we're seeing taking place exactly right now in our, our neocon foreign policy. You know, it's interesting, the Schofield Bible, or uh, and the reference Bible rather, is uh, it kind of operates on some basic you know, fundamental workings of, uh, you know, mass manipulation and, and mind control. So it was almost like an early form of 
uh, double speak or something like that, having these weird translations and, and putting them right next to, to you know, the, the scripture, uh, the truth of the Bible, and uh, sort of correlating those two things when there seems shouldn't have been a correlation. Uh, exactly. Uh, yeah, it makes you think of the Tavistock Institute and the kind of um, uh, manipulations that they make. Yeah, I would say it's definitely a form of mind control. In fact, I heard just the other day from someone who uh, attended uh, a uh, Baptist church where Schofield was quoted often, and she said that there was a, a high rate of suicide in this church. And she said there really was a, uh, actually the Tavistock had an outlet at the University of um it was in Michigan. I think it was the University of Michigan, but this lady was from Michigan and she talked about her own mind control experiences there and is very much tied into the church as well. And um, these Zionists are well aware that they've required the support of the Christian church to advance the state of Israel. That's By the way, that's why they called it Israel. It's a, a bit of a Madison Avenue trickery. Originally, they're going to call it the Zionist state or the Jewish state. But then they decided to call it Israel because then they could trick the Christians into thinking this was the biblical Israel, the one you read about in your New Testament, you know, and um, and thus deceive us into supporting, which is actually our enemy. They have no uh, intentions of letting the Christian church um, continue to exist uh, as it does once greater Israel is established. Once they have no more use for the churches, you'll see them, uh, you would see them clamp down very tightly. Right. No, and it's interesting. Yeah, that's what's prophesied. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I was just going to say it's so interesting that, uh, you know, I mean, this is one of the, probably the most inflammatory conversations you can have in <laughs> in uh, the modern American church. Um, there, there's still such a huge division with this. I mean, even talking about the Schofield Bible, I can already uh, read, I can close my eyes and read the emails we're going to get. And certainly it is, uh, along with the support of Israel, you know, one of the most divisive topics that I think you know, the, the modern church uh, can uh, encounter. And I think this is, a lot of this is because there's not a lot of research or critical thinking when it comes to this. You know, you have things like replacement theology and you have, like you said, pastors all over the world. I've personally been in multiple uh churches, not even just sermons, just churches as a whole that use the Schofield Bible uh, religiously, yeah. if you will, yeah. <laughs> um, as well, you know, as well as been uh, uh, encouraged to do it myself. And I really had no reason not to. I had no inkling that that would, you know, that that might not be the best resource or oh. the history behind it. Oh, you need to repent, Basil. I repent for all <laughs> the things. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no. So, I mean, I, I only bring this up to say, I'm sure you're aware at how inflammatory these types of things are. I'm sure you've felt a lot of pushback. What would you say to people who may not uh, be in the same place as, as <laughs> you or perhaps we are? Who knows? Well, uh, one thing I would do is refer them to my, my uh, article, uh, The War on Christianity Part 2, blasphemy and abomination of Christian Zionism. And I'm not going to Schofield's whole history there, you know, in, in the Schofield Reference Bible, it says he's Dr. Schofield, uh, DD, Doctor of Divinity. You know, he never uh, went to a college or a seminary, and he never even, to our knowledge, got an honorary degree. He certainly didn't list any academic background in his who's who um, listing. 
And so he's starting the Bible right off with a, with a lie, which is that he has a doctorate in divinity, did not. He had no formal religious training at all. And, um, you know, apparently most of his notes were dictated to him. Um, but they obviously could not have a Jewish person did this. They needed somebody who had uh, established himself as a pastor and was not Jewish. And he filled the bill. He was willing to sell out. And, you know, he made, um, I think it was um, about 15000 a year from royalties, which is a lot Ooh. of money back then, you yeah. know. Um, and uh, didn't see fit to share it with the family he'd abandoned, you know. Uh, and according to the book of Timothy, if you don't take care of your own, you're worse than an unbeliever. Well, he abandoned his family in Kansas and his wife sued him for divorce. He abandoned his wife and his two kids and he remarried, you know, uh, shortly thereafter. He moved down to, to Dallas where nobody knew who he was and uh, eventually came up to New England and joined the, the Lodos Club. Um, but he also uh, lied about his military service and he said he served toward the end of the war in the Confederate Army under General Lee and was decorated with valor at the Battle of Antietam. <laughs> Well, in fact, the, the Confederacy couldn't afford to give out decorations. There was a, a cross of honor, which was given to any dishonorably discharged veteran after the many years after the war. And he got that, but it was not for valor, although he might have fought with valor at the Battle of Antietam. He was at that battle, but he and he did not serve towards the end of to the end of the war, though. He uh, he begged out of service after uh, one year on the grounds that he was born in, in, in Michigan. Um, so the fact that he was dishonest and abandoned his family and lied about his academic background, none of this stands well. The other thing I would say to a pro-Israel Christian is take a look at what Israel has done. Look at the 1946 uh, King David uh, Hotel bombing uh, when they blew up British headquarters, murdered 91 and wounded many others, disguised as Arabs, by the way. They went in with explosives and milk cans. And, or look at the Levon affair, which even Israel admits to today when they tried to blow up British and American installations in uh, Egypt, uh, blame it on the Arabs. Unfortunately, that one saved. And look at the attack on the USS Liberty. Now, I, I like to draw this comparison. In 1964, we had a non-existent attack on the USS Maddox in the Gulf of Tonka on August 4th, 1964. In response to that non-existent attack, Lyndon Baines Johnson uh, started or, or certainly ex uh, escalated the war in Vietnam, uh, which lasted another 11 years and took 58,000 American lives and countless Vietnamese. And yet in 1967, we had a real attack on USS Liberty. The uh, Israelis attacked it. They, they machine gunned it, napalmed it. They fired five torpedoes, one of which hit. And um, they, try they tried to uh, sink the ship. We know this from the um, transcripts NSA got of the ground air uh, communications. They knew it was an American ship. They tried to destroy it. Um, when Admiral Geis, the uh, commander of the Sixth Fleet, sent uh, rescue uh, fighters, they were recalled twice by on the orders of uh, Robert McNamara. And Albert Geis uh, appealed to the president. The president got on the phone and told them that uh, we were not going to embarrass an ally. And uh, the court of inquiry was only given a week to uh, investigate this, uh, the attack on the USS Liberty, whereas it would have taken a, a year. Now, you can read about that in the testimony of Ward Boston, who was the uh, chief legal counsel to the uh, Court of Inquiry on the, the attack on the USS Liberty. And you can read uh, all the depositions, the NSA depositions and so forth uh, at the, uh, it's called GTR5.com. GTR5 was the uh, the insignia on, on the um, 
and U.S.'s liberty. So President Johnson starts this gigantic 11-year war on a non-existent attack, and yet he does absolutely nothing when we're really attacked and our soldiers are really murdered. Um, and you can move up to 1986, when Ronald Reagan was tricked into bombing Libya. A bomb had gone off in the La Belle discotheque in Germany, and the Israelis had planted uh, a transmitter in Libya, which sent out congratulations to the uh, terrorists who had allegedly done this. And uh, they fell for the most sad trick. And that's all described in the, the book, The Other Side of Deception, by Viktor Ostrovsky, who's a former um, Israeli officer in the Mossad. And uh, of course, the big one is 9-11, but I better pause here. Uh, you guys may have some <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. Because it seems like, especially these days, but apparently for a while now, uh, we can't necessarily believe what we're told at all uh, by <laughs> by authorities. And this is not just uh, you know regarding Zionism and uh, Christian Zionism and the Schofield Bible and uh, everything involved with that, but it's also the mainstream media as well. Uh, you know, it seems like uh, Christians have sort of been. Uh, manipulated for a while, and which you know is, I'm as you've said, they are a valuable, powerful political target that uh, can be manipulated in all sorts of ways, um, but also just by distraction. I mean, being distracted and losing sight of uh, these geopolitical realities uh, due to not only theological. Uh, distractions, but also mainstream media distractions. Uh, so I guess my question is, how uh, do you see the mainstream working in to the, uh, the whole Israel issue, it, it, particularly pertaining to Christians? Well, um, you know, we know today, of course, that the, uh, the mainstream media is controlled by just the six corporations, and uh, we might as well uh, name them for our audience. Name and um, names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Name and name. Time Warner, which you know they own uh, CNN and HBO. And I logo. Yeah, Time Warner and Cartoon Network and TBS, TNT, and uh, Sports Illustrated, Fortune Magazine, Money Man. You know, you name it. And you got Walt Disney, you know, you're watching ABC News or ESPN, but you're watching Walt Disney because they own those, right? They own Lifetime and Miramax. And the others are Viacom, News Corp. News Corp owns Fox and the Wall Street Journal and the London Times and the New York Post and DirecTV and HarperCollins and even Zondervan, the Christian publishing house. And then you've got CBS and NBC Universal. So they're the, six, the big six. They own over 90% of mainstream media. And... Um, so you're getting a monolithic viewpoint. Now, uh, it's true that you can hear liberal views on CNN and conservative views on Fox, but you know it's uh, they never challenge the main paradigm. And it's I, I compare that to the choice between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. You know they 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 know that they want people to have the illusion of choice. So you give them two parties and you give them two networks, and but they never go I, I never tell you the story behind the story they never investigate the the uh the story uh the back burner story that's behind the headline and uh so that's how they keep us going and as far as uh how christians got suckered into this i'm going to write a post it's going to be called uh why there was a golden age of television i started looking at the background of television and in the 1950s it was very christian 
Um, there were no curse words, and there was uh, every story had a good moral to it. And there's only five minute five minutes of news at eleven o'clock, and you know it was a good a whole uh, entertainment. I was watching recently um, Turner Classic Movies. They had they featured James Dean's early TV appearances, and it's amazing to watch these shows from the early 1950s when it would close with prayer and people going to church, and you know, it was, uh, and they got Christians to buy TV sets, say, well, this is good, this reinforces the Christian message, you know, I, when I was a kid, and I was born in 51, so we didn't get a TV till 56, but we watched Superman, and they would talk about truth and justice in the American way, and everything was moral, so people bought these TV sets, they wanted to get the right. Southerners hooked in, they had to get the Southerners were still kind of distrustful, so they had a show. It's called The Grey Ghost. It's all about Major Mosby, a Confederate hero. <laughs> they all hooked the Southerners in too, you know. Oh, wow. Once they got all, once they got all the TV sets in, then the content started to change, then it started to get politicized. Right. But um, they, but they boiled the frog, and unfortunately, they got the TVs in the home. And uh, I believe it was this. Uh, his name Levey. He we ran the Church of Satan. Anton he said that the t- yeah, he said he the the uh, I didn't actually read him say uh, saying this, but somebody told me he said it that the the TV set would replace the you know, family altar. You know, you everybody would just focused on the TV instead of the the cross. And so yeah, they 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 were very deceptive the way they got the TVs into the home, but they gradually boiled the frog, and now TV is just horrific. It's just you know uh, pushing the the mainstream agenda all the time and reinforcing. It's just Florida school shooting. You know, they, um, I did a. Uh, done some some posts on Twitter about it, but you know this this guy uh, David Hogg. That's I said they've got his picture on more places than Big Brother's picture in 1984. <laughs> and if you criticize the guy, you get your YouTube channel deleted or your <laughs> Facebook account is suspended. You know, it's like they're really they're yeah. controlling the narrative so badly. But unfortunately, a lot of Christians got suckered into this because the original content was good, and I, I have to say, in the 1950s, television was good for America. It was actually teaching good moral lessons, but they, they, you know, they just gradually boiled the frog and now it's Luciferian. They even got, Luc- Lucifer's got his own TV show now. On <laughs> yeah, it's, it's out of control. Yeah. You know, it's it's quite remarkable because, uh, just because, you know, we're, we're sort of laying it out all on the table here. Uh, we have a, we have a friend um, to the show, Chris White. He's a longtime friend. He, um, he really got me into understanding a lot of this stuff uh, a few years ago. But he wrote a book called False Christ. Will the Antichrist claim to be the Jewish Messiah? And uh, he argues that uh, in the book that that the uh, Jewish religion, the modern Jewish religion, will be sort of used as prophecy to be fulfilled using the you know Messiah ben David, Messiah uh, Messiah ben Joseph prophecies, and that involves a resurrection, uh, a sort of false resurrection to you know, proclaim the Jewish Messiah, the Jewish Christ, which, you know, will be the Antichrist uh, to the rest of the world, which is an interesting, um, you know, it's, it's pretty inflammatory, but that's sort of kind of looking at it for what it is. It's sort of what the Bible even predicts. Um, so, in that regard, how does the religion, the, the Jewish religion, the modern religion, which obviously, you know, you start digging in and you run into Kabbalah you know, almost immediately, and you find that there's mysticism and all kinds of, you know, you go in that weird direction, which goes right back into, you know, uh, the New World Order system and all that. You know, I find it interesting because recently, uh, you mentioned Disney is one of the uh, outlets. Disney had a sh- uh, a, a show where a, a one of the characters, uh, these are kids in high school, like early high school or junior high, one of the kids came out as gay on the show, and he had a bar mitzvah. 
And so he, they showed the entire, not the entire, but like a good portion of the, the Jewish ceremony. And I found that very interesting that they, on Disney Channel, they would go as far as to show a religious ceremony to that degree. And if we keep kind of going down this trail, uh, this idea of a resurrection of an entity, and you know, you brought up David Haar, this other kid that they're using. Is it possible, given all the pr- propaganda we're hearing out of Silicon Valley, you know, we're trying to defeat death, all these things, that they're going to stage a resurrection, or it might be a quote-unquote real resurrection, in a sense, that technology or technologically they bring it to a certain point where they do this and they crown some person, uh, you know, the king of whatever, the, the whole system that, <laughs> that they're trying to build. Do you see any of that? Do you see, so two-part question, one, the religion of uh, modern Judaism, and then tying that into some of the more nefarious possibilities here with technology as a tool being used by these uh, same people to stage some sort of resurrection in fulfillment of their prophecies. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's coming. Uh, there's no question that they want uh, their ruler, you know, the uh, the beast or the Antichrist to uh, to come apart, to, to uh, come about. Um uh, to rule, uh, set himself as Paul predicted in, in the temple, proclaim himself to be God. And that's what the rebuilding of the Jewish temple is about. I've, I've talked to missionaries who've gone to Israel have said they've definitely got everything ready to rebuild that temple. They're just waiting, waiting for the right moment. And it's my understanding that uh, Christian congregations have been milked for many millions of dollars for the rebuilding of that temple. And I've, been, I've sat in church and heard uh, uh, pastors quoting the Old Testament saying this means we're going to go back to the age of animal sacrifice. And, <laughs> do they not um, even read though, the Bible? Or? <laughs> yeah, I mean, do they not read the book of Hebrews where it's, we, we're done with that? We, we're Christ sacrificed once for all. Right. But they they yeah. the, the, uh, bought into it. It's, been, it's taught in the seminaries and for the seminaries got bought out and so it's taught there and that's oh. what they spew to their, their, their congregations. Um, there's no uh, biblical, uh, actual biblical grounds for it unless you really uh, twist the scriptures. But yes, um, really the protocols of Zion, they talk about how we must step aside for our, uh, let me see if I can actually find the, um, the uh, some of the quotes on that. Um, let's see. And concerning the temple, just real quick while you're looking for that, there's uh, there's an article that Chabad.org published called Will We Use Technology to Build the Third Temple? And uh, mm. in it, they discussed how they are going to use technology, that they're going to you know use 3D printing to build it. They're going to have, it's going to be climate controlled. They're going to have smart home technology and biometric locks. And I, that, that, that part of it is very interesting because you look at that prophecy you mentioned about the temple. Uh, and we've had guests who have uh, sort of used and interpreted that text to say the temple, meaning not just the temple, the third temple, the physical temple, but also the human body as the temple of God, uh, being uh, the abomination of desolation, that whole prophecy. Um, and if you look at how transhumanism and technology are infiltrating the biology of the human being, this all starts to make sense in a really profound way. But uh, uh, please continue with the uh, the quotes. Well, I'd like to do, like to look into some of what you've been saying uh, about the uh, the way they plan to use three D printing, things like that. But uh, the protocols quote, um, well, this is just one of them. Uh, this is protocol three fifteen said uh, we have been leading the peoples from one disenchantment to another, so that in the end they should turn uh, also from us in favor of that King Despo, whom we are preparing for the world. Um, unquote. And there's other quotes in this, the protocols like that. They're definitely leading up 
to some sort of Big Brother type rule. You remember at the end of Big Brother, um, they wanted everybody, um, and even Winston Smith ends up doing this to say they love Big Brother. Satan wants to be worshipped, and uh, that's that's what they're leading to. And um, yeah, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they're going to use high technology to deceive us. They've got the ability to create holograms. I saw uh, a couple of months ago. I saw um, a uh, uh, somebody tweeted this. So the link to a video where in China they uh, had holograms of a giants uh, of giants walking across a harbor, and uh, they you know they use technology to create splashes for their feet. So it looked like these giants were actually walking across the river, uh, across the harbor. So you can imagine what they could do. They could have an image of Christ come out of the sky, images of angels, three-dimensional, even having voices, and it would fool the public. And they would think that Christ has returned and honor him and worship him. Um, and uh, he would take up residence at that temple you've been talking about. Some people think that maybe the reason they wanted Trump and Kushner in there is because they have a lot of uh, experience of building real estate, and maybe they're going <laughs> to maybe they're going to play yeah. A, yeah, a role in uh, the building of that temple. But for sure, uh, they're they're leading up to uh, an antichrist figure, and for sure they will use high technology um, in place of true uh, godly miracles. Uh, one person pointed this out. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting. You remember how Jesus once spoke to a woman at the well and he knew everything about her. And because he knew everything about her, that convinced her that he was the Christ. And she went to the town and said, come see a man who knew everything about me. Well, today, of course, the government can know everything about you because they they, they're they're tracking you. They're tracking your cell phone conversations, your email messages, spying on your computer. So you could have an antichrist figure who would uh, appear to know everything about everyone through, uh, he would fake it as uh, though this came from his divine wisdom, his uh, his omniscience, when in fact, it would be uh, simply be facts that he gathered through the the information gathering of uh, NSA and whatever other intelligence services they would be using uh, for this end. Yeah, that's really interesting. The the parallels there of of posing as God at the hands of man now, the government and the state using uh, uh, being used as tools to create this illusion. Do you guys mind if we stop and take a break here? No, no, yeah, no, no, no. Question on the other side. Yeah, I just like to stretch for a minute. Just a quick reminder here: make sure to tune into Canary Cry News Talk every single week. Now back to a more stretched out James Perloff. One thing that I wanted to ask you, and we ask all our guests, uh, regardless of sort of background or knowledge about this, is about the Nephilim. And you know, early on in Genesis 6, we find some information about the Nephilim and the sons of God, and we've investigated that uh, quite often on this show from the beginning. Um, what are some of your notes, some thoughts on that? Well, uh, I probably learned quite a, a bit by uh, listening to your, your uh, back broadcasts on that. You probably have people who are uh, quite a bit more expert than I am. Uh, you know, my, my first uh, impression when I heard about uh, UFOs and aliens, um, you know, I, I kind of hearkened back to what uh, Serge Manast had said about Operation Blue Beam, and I thought, well, you know, these UFOs are probably just uh, Pentagon psyop of some, some, some type to, you know, create a new world order. But then... Um, uh, Fellow 9-11 Truth that turned me on to L.A. Marzulli, 
we had some conversations with, and I did write, uh, write a blog post. Um, it was in 2015 regarding the Nephilim. And my conclusion is that um, uh, the sons of God referred there uh, definitely to angels mating with, with uh, humans. And that has been a, a source of controversy, of course, uh, because some people interpret the sons of God to mean the godly line of Seth. But if you go to your extra biblical books, such as Jubilees and Enoch, they are absolutely crystal clear that the sons of God, and of course, when uh, in the Bible, in the book of Job, when Satan appeared with other angels before God, they were called the sons of God. Um, they make it very, very clear in Enoch and Jubilees that uh, there was mating taking place against God's will, a form of transhumanism or transangelism, if you will, um, which created this race of giants, which is referred to in Genesis 6 and led to the great flood. And one of the things I, I discovered was that uh, the great flood didn't occur simply because God was angry about violence on the earth, but his entire creation was being corrupted. In fact, um, to quote the book of Jubilees, it says, uh, quote, all flesh corrupted its way, alike men and cattle and beasts and birds and everything that walketh on the earth, all of them corrupted their ways and their orders, uh, unquote. You might recall in the uh, book of Genesis, when God created things, everything reproduced after its own order. Um, also, um, the book of Jasher, uh, which uh, it's non-canonical, and there are parts of it that I find unbelievable, but it says in chapter 4, quote, The sons of men in those days took from the cattle of the earth, the beasts of the field, and the fowls of the air, and taught the mixture of animals of one species with the other, in order therewith to provoke the Lord. And God saw the whole earth, and it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted its ways upon earth, all men and ant, all animals, unquote. So it's clear that there was species mixing going on, which brings to mind the phenomenon we see today of transgenderism, transhumanism, GMOs, gene splicing. We're doing the same thing and we're messing with God's order. But uh, the ultimate of that, of course, was the creation of giants. And the giants are referred to not only in um, Genesis 6, but you'll recall, of course, that when God uh, brought the um, Hebrews from Egypt into the promised land, um, they were refusing to go in because of the, the giants there. They say we were, they were, we were as grasshoppers in their sight. So God made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Right. Um, so there were, there were uh, giants. Then, of course, we know the story of, um, of, um, of uh, Goliath is very famous, but there are other giants mentioned as well. Og of Bashan, it was bed was uh, over 13 feet tall um, in the Bible. And uh, there's been quite a bit of archaeological digs um, going back to the 19th century that dug up giants in North America. And it seems that the Smithsonian destroyed those all because yeah. uh, it, uh, you know, it confirms the Bible and it also goes against Darwin's theory of evolution, which says we came from smaller creatures. So I definitely believe in the Nephilim and I have a feeling that uh, there may be a, an ongoing effort to bring back uh, these fallen angels in the Nephilim at some point in the future. And perhaps that's why we've been inundated with movies about superheroes, you know, the Incredible Hulk and um spider-man with his dna changed and uh, wonder woman and all this stuff um and uh, as well as um uh the movies about aliens we've been you know uh they had a lot of um 
B movies about uh, outer space invasions in the 50s, which were kind of like a laughing stock, but then they really upgraded in the 70s, starting with um, um, uh, uh, Adventures of the Third Kind and uh, Star Wars um, and E.T., and then they've taken it away from there and really high-grade movies about aliens. And the aliens, of course, would be the fallen angels. And perhaps that's how they're going to present themselves when they return. They may um, say that we're beings from a superior civilization, because you might recall from the book of Enoch that the angels taught advanced technology to the humans on earth is one of the things that they did. So, um, yeah, so that's my kind of my opinion. The Nephilim, uh, but to more fully answer that, then, uh, as I understand it, uh, God would not allow when the Nephilim died, the giants, God would not allow their spirits to follow the normal uh, course that a human spirit would upon death. And so they were made to roam the earth. And those were the evil spirits that Jesus was casting out because they were always looking for a new body right. to inhabit. But there's a, it seems there's a distinction, which I didn't understand uh, years ago. There's a distinction between a fallen angel and a demon. A fallen angel is a fallen angel an actual angel, whereas the Nephilim are the uh, spirits of the offspring mm. uh, of the uh, of the angels, the demonic um, forces. So the demonic forces and the fallen angels, you might say they're allies, but they're not the same thing. So that's kind of my understanding. And how would you guys? How would you guys? Um, yeah, clarify that further. How would you, what would you say? That's pretty close. That's pretty spot on. I would say that the the Elohim. Uh, seem to be the the or the ones that did, rebelled are the fallen angels, and then they seem to have this offspring that seem uh, the the spirits are sort of trapped in this in between stage uh, where they do seek bodies, which is interesting because they are non corporal, non physical minds that are sort of roaming about that can quite literally possess objects and and people. I think at a certain level, if uh, the the person allows such things to occur, uh, so yeah, I think there is a uh, there's a thread here that the Nephilim seems to connect uh, all sorts of areas of the paranormal, the supernatural, as well as mm -hmm. every element that we discussed today of the, of the conspiracies and all the evil that, that men do. How does that happen? Why does that even occur? It seems to be that there is an influence from uh, non-human uh, entities that uh, don't have human interests in mind that are using uh, humans and whispering things into their ears or whatever. And, you know, we're sort of being uh, used as pawns to carry out this bigger agenda. And uh, some of us who start to wake up to that, it seems, uh, are, you know, marginalized and prophetically seem like a not a good end in terms of the physical life. But, you know, it's just a, a weird situation that I find ourselves in that these uh, wild stories about our history seem to be true. <laughs> it's a kind of a wild Thing to think, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I would, uh, I would say you're, you're pretty spot on with that. And so, do you see a, a similar connection with how this Nephilim uh, phenomenon might tie into everything that we've discussed today? Well, um, when uh, we were talking before about uh, the temple and their use of high tech, and perhaps they, they also will um, somehow correlate that with. Uh, you know, uh, Serge Manast, who died um, shortly after he made the the Project Bluebeam um, uh, revelation, in which he said that NASA would use satellites to project these images uh, of uh, returning messiahs to different communities across the globe, and that um, uh, there would be a form of mind control, which um, 
you know, with the rise of 5G, which would say that the waves from what 5G are going to be 25 times stronger than than the current Wi-Fi, that they might use that for mind control in the hopes of getting people to force them to worship their uh, their Antichrist. And um, um, they may also be unleashing, um, you know, it's not fresh in my mind, but I seem to recall that the... Um, the uh, fallen angels were sealed up under the earth, were they not? And the uh, book of Revelation talks about the opening of the pit and perhaps uh, tied in with all of this, there will be a return of these fallen angels before the um, the final um, return of Christ. I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I definitely think it all ties together, the high tech and um, the spiritual warfare, because the uh, it's acknowledged uh, you know, if you, if you look at Bohemian Grove and the unveiling of the statue of Baphomet and the um, uh, all these satanic things that are occurring, you know, uh, Pizzagate and John Podesta, spirit cooking, all of that, CERN, uh, trying to open this portal to the dark world. Uh, it seems that um, in, um, in the final um, uh, undoing of things that there will be uh, uh, perhaps a brief period where not only would there be an earthly high-tech um, wizard behind the machine and like the Wizard of Oz, but also you might actually have some of these spiritual beings returning. But I don't think God would pers- allow that to persist very long. The, the book of Revelation definitely puts a time limit on it. And it also says that God would intervene, you know, lest the uh, very elect would um, be lost were that possible. So I do think, uh, yeah, all these things tie together. There we go. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really, really appreciate it. Um, why don't you tell us, uh, what are you working on now? Well, I was working on a book on 9-11. You know, um, my book, Truth is a Lonely Warrior, started to get suppressed on Amazon after I wrote a, a uh, post on 9-11 that introduced some new suggestions regarding it. I don't write a lot on 9-11 because so many other people have um, have done that so extensively, but occasionally I've been contacted by people. Um, one person in particular who had a, a deep knowledge of nuclear weapons, I, I do think that what took the uh, towers down, I'm not denying that there was use of other um, mechanisms such as directed energy and, and, uh, and thermite. But uh, if you look at, uh, most people don't only, only look at the first building, the South Tower that came down. You look at the second building, there was an enormous flash. When you look at the thyroid cancer rates, which are the highest cancer rate in comparison to expectation and the high heat generated uh, at ground zero um, and the, uh, the uh, nuclear fission products in the, in the dust samples of the World Trade Center, it's pretty clear that a nuclear bomb uh, went off there. But something that I came up with on my own that nobody else uh, to my knowledge has was I do believe there were actually hijackers on 9-11 and I do believe that um, they were especially trained Israeli special ops. They say are at Matkal. I believe they had, uh, there was a universal key that could get you into any cockpit. They had uh, seats reserved under Arab names in the, in, you know, the front row of first class. They went right into those cockpits. They killed those pilots instantly. They certainly didn't crash them into the World Trade Center. But um, uh, talking with my uh, co-producer on um, the movie Shattering, who's a career flight attendant, Mary Ellen Moore, and I also had extensive conversations with a modern Airbus pilot 
Um, I've received several uh, emails from pilots who don't believe in 9-11 theory. Um, he explained to me why it would be impossible to electronically hijack um, the 757s and the 767s. You need uh, uh, manual controls, uh, go from the pilot to the ailerons, the elevator, the rudder, et cetera. You just can't control the plane with precision in the World Trade Center by an electronic hijack, not on 9-11. You could with a more modern, what they call fly-by-wire computer-regulated craft, but not on 9-11. So I believe they were, they were real. I, I, I don't believe that uh, the, the original planes hit the towers. I think that um, the planes were diverted by Israeli special ops. I think that either some type of cloaked missile or drone um, hit the towers. And what I'm really, what's hanging up that project is I'm, I'm caught between the idea of a cloaked missile, which seems absurd to some, but has its advantages in that the missile can be very precisely guided. Um, and they did have that technology to cloak a, a missile as a, as a plane in the nineties. Um, uh, but there's also, uh, factors that, uh, point more towards a drone. The fact that the impression of the planes that you see on the two twin towers seem to bend the bars inward. And I don't know that a missile could do that, but perhaps a, a highly specialized drone could do so. So I've been kind of hung up and I haven't moved forward that book because I want to make sure I get it right. I want to make sure that I um, don't mislead people. I want to make sure that if I'm going to try and reconstruct the events of 9-11, that it's correct. But you can see what um, the process I've gone through. If you go to my website, jamespilloff.com, there's one recent article called 9-11 Simplified and another called Conversations with a Pilot about 9-11. It's, a, it's, a, it's an, uh, again, the current, current Airbus pilot who had tremendous insights into what could and could not have taken place on 9-11. But it was after that, that um, William Tahill's book on the nuclear destruction of, of, uh, of the Twin Towers was immediately scrubbed from the internet after being there for years. And Amazon raised all my books to full cover price and suspended the Kindle edition of truth is a lonely warrior, which they could not mess with the price on that and then over ludicrous reasons. So something in that article touched people off. So that's I kind of on the back burner. But in the meantime, I'm mostly right now am blogging and going on podcasts. And I just wrote an article on the truth movement of Christianity. Should how much do they coincide? And my next article might be that subject I kind of touched on earlier about why there was a golden age of television and how they uh, started out with highly Christian content on TV in order to get the TVs into the American public's homes. Fascinating. Well, everybody, make sure to go check that out. James Perloff, thank you so much. Can you give us your uh, your links and where can people find you if they want to track you down? Great. Um, yeah, I'm on uh, the internet. My blog is jamesperloff.com. It's P-E-R-L-O-F-F. My latest book, again, an A to Z primer on the New World Order is Truth is a Lonely Warrior. And the movie we did is called Shattering with a lot of, of alt media people in it. And I'm also on Twitter. I meme a lot. Uh, I'm on Twitter simply as James Perloff. Okay, awesome. Well, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show, everybody. We recommend you go check out his stuff, connect with him on the social media, and uh, go check out his books. And uh, there you go, buddy. All right, we'll have to have you back on. Well, Gonzo Basils, thank you so much for having me on. Um, it's this type of venue that is really the last line of defense against mainstream media and the New World Order. It's it's the one place where people can, um, you know, the alt media is the one place where people can get the truth as opposed to what is clearly an agenda and money-driven uh, source of information coming from the mainstream. Absolutely, mm -hmm. and we're glad that you could be a part of it.
Okay, thanks so much, guys. You betcha. Well, there you have it, folks. James Perloff. My goodness, Gons. Yeah, pretty good stuff. Uh, you know, I had some personal interests in some of the history of Japan and stuff like that. So I found it yeah. very fascinating. And, uh, you know, who knew, who knew that some of the, the places that were targeted with the atomic bomb were because they were a uh, little Christian, uh, sort of conglomerates. Yeah. I gotta say guns. I, I feel so much closer to you culturally. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just gotta let you know, man, we're, we're building bridges over here. That's why we're I like build, to hide in my closet. Or building international bridges, we can get past this this dark history of our I go two outside, nations. I get put in concentration camps and get atomic bombs dropped on me. So I, so I stay in the closet. <laughs> that's, that's my virtue signaling. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, I've I've been. Uh, <laughs> although you may not have noticed, I have been uh, just heartily fighting the the urge to virtue signal as well. Um, so anyways, well, I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did because that was that was awesome, awesome, awesome. And if, if you haven't done it yet, head over to CCNT, uh, Canary Cry News Talk. It'll be an awesome, uh, nice little cool down for this episode. And um, we also have a Patreon for Canary Cry News Talk. Again, I get it. You don't want to mix up your your podcast routine. But if you are not yet listening to News Talk, I got to tell you, you're missing out on some prime uh, Basil and Gon's uh, deductions. And look, I get it. You want to stay away from the news. The news is too much. It's all over the place. Fake news, fake news. What is which? What is true news? Well, there's truenews.com. Go check it out. <laughs> but also, Canary Cry News Talk. Thank you, Rick. Or you're welcome, Rick Wiles. <laughs> yeah, a free plug for true news there. Um, but go check it out. You guys, uh, you, it deserves at least one listen. Um, also, thank you for everybody who has been leaving iTunes reviews. There have been a few more in the past month or so, but we need some more. Uh, the way the algorithms work on iTunes is we kind of need a little bit of a constant flow of iTunes ratings and reviews. If you enjoyed this episode or any episode of, I'm telling you, if you've enjoyed any episode of Canary Cry Radio, you need to head over to iTunes or whatever podcast app you're using and leave a rating and review. Uh, if you're not out there telling people about the show, you need to uh, go leave a rating and review. It's a, a, a nice, easy, and effective way to help spread the word about the show. Um, what while we're on that topic, why don't you go out there and tell a friend about Canary Cry News? I'm so stuck on news talk right now. Canary Cry Radio. Uh, <laughs> go rattle some cages. That's what we're doing here. You got to go spread the word. And look, I get it. Coming from the host of the show, it's, it's, it's all I'm worried about is the download numbers. Well, here's the thing. Without the down, the download numbers is what lets us know that we are reaching people out there. Our whole goal is to spread the word, spread the gospel, and uh, provide a place for people like us to explore these things that the church is not exploring. So if you know anybody like that who would be interested, let them know about Canary Cry Radio. Or don't even tell them. Just send them the link and say nothing else <laughs> and see what they say about that. And when you're sick of all the crazy nonsense happening in the world, you can detox with a little 
the Joyspiracy theory with Basil. Aww. Basil, your show is the detox for <laughs> everybody involved. Well, I appreciate that. The Joyspiracy is still going on out there, people, and we've got some uh, awesome episodes out now, some new ones. If you haven't stopped by in a while, stop by, see what's going on. We talked to Natalina uh, a little while ago about what she's got going on in her world and Gon's. I've been trying to pin this guy down. It's it's almost time for a daddy update from Gans. You oh. know, it's been it's been a little over a year since he had the baby. We did that episode when he had the baby, and it's time for a daddy update. What oh. is life like now as a, a conspira daddy? Conspira daddy. <laughs> conspira daddy. Conspira dad. That's a t-shirt. Yeah. I know. I gotta go ahead and have a have a kid so we can start the podcast conspiracy daddies dad or daddies yeah well you, you yeah. consider yourself a dad anyway with to those cats things you got yeah. going on over there yeah i'm a i'm a millennial i think i can call <laughs> myself a cat dad um <laughs> um and if you haven't done it yet which i highly doubt you guys haven't done yet go make sure to keep up with face like the sun the youtube channel of my insanely popular friend here gan shimura he's currently working on uh, Age of Deceit three. I'm I'm dropping that. I don't know if you announced that Gons already, but <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm, it for like I'm a year sharing here. I know, but I don't I don't listen when you're telling your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you're not paying attention. You just shut off when I talk. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if there's anybody listening at this point, uh, head over to Facebook.com. Join the Canary Cry community. Man, we have a lot of stuff going on, Gons. Yep. This is this is getting outrageous. Go over to facebook.com, search Canary Cry Community, join the Canary Cry Community. It is a community of Canarians and Canary Cry radio listeners, Canarianets, which is Ooh. our the Canarianets are our puppet-based listeners. Oh. Yeah, you thought I was going to go female Canarian, huh? I did. I uh, yeah, you did. <laughs> I I totally did. Canarianets is our <laughs> string-based puppet listeners um uh, wow we created a, a, a separate cult following of- I'm, I'm i'm such a dummy um yeah go over there join the community we're at 950 members 950 canarians um all talking about uh things from uh different news coming out now but there's a canary cry radio re-listen project and i gotta say my favorite part of the group, the Canary Cry Radio biblical prophecy Bible-based Christian memes is the light of my day every day. In fact, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I got my own, my very own meme someone made for me. It's uh, it's it's a good one. You're going to have to go check it out. Okay. Is that everything, Gons? I think that is everything. Oh, I, I, I do want to just, uh, you know, pat my own back and uh as of this recording i have about 400 subscribers to go on youtube to hit 200,000. no so way there you go that's crazy that is yeah. just blown up yeah yeah but i don't know what does it all what does it all mean <laughs> what does it all mean it's all, <laughs> it's all dust in the end it's, go read it's all just numbers on a screen <laughs> Gons Gons has been reading Lamentations recently. He's a little <laughs> really really diving into the a little down in the dumps, but that's okay. 
So go make Gons happy. Go subscribe to Face Like the Sun on YouTube. Um, or just send him a meme. He loves that stuff. Okay. I think that's about it, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. Make sure to tune in next time. But until then, think outside the cage. <laughs>